Welcome to the Dog Friendly KW Podcast with your hosts, Justine and Mackenzie on Midtown Radio KW. And today we are here with Taylor McDonald from Bindi's Bucket List to talk all about canine enrichment again. So welcome back, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. We are so excited you're here. We know that people loved the first episode um, and it felt like there was nowhere near enough time to dive into all the things we wanted to talk about. So we are definitely uh, excited to dive into some deeper stuff today. So I know we did this in the OG episode, but for maybe folks who didn't listen to the first one, could you maybe give us an intro to yourself? And of course, you know, give us a quick intro to Bindi and Rosie. And in the last episode, you didn't know much about their breeds. And we saw you recently got your Embark results back. So we'd love to hear about that too. Absolutely. So I'm so stoked to be back. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Taylor. I'm kind of like the semi-invisible face behind all the Biddy's Bucket List platforms. And it features largely our two rescues, Bindi and Rosie, who were previously giant mysteries to us until we just recently got our Embark results. And they are 100% village dog. I know to some people that was like, a little bit disappointing. People want to like pick out the popular breeds that they see and they do have some really interesting looks to them where they could look like one breed or look like another. Um, so it was one of those things where I thought they were going to be village dogs. So I wasn't super surprised, but it's given us this really cool in to talk about what a village dog is and more about such an ancient breed, if you will. What is a village dog? So it's it's not essentially like not a breed. Oh, let me put this in a better sense. I'm trying to figure out how to word it. So it's not like a pedigree breed, but it's also not the same as like a stray or quote unquote like a mongrel per se. Essentially, village dog breeds were the dogs that would be on the outskirts of the beginnings of communities. So when dogs were originally bred, there was always still these little village dogs that were around these communities and they would be used to breed in with certain breeds as well. So they're essentially like the first dogs that were in these communities and they represent a bunch of different places. So like there's the American village dog, there's Asian village dogs, there's African village dogs. And even though that they're all from such different places geographically, like a breed, they still have very similar traits. So a, an American village dog can still share a lot of the same traits that an African village dog has, even when they're obviously so geographically different in the world. That is so interesting how that can carry over from like continent to continent. Um, but that says something about, you know, how dogs became dogs. That's so crazy. I love that. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially like for me reading about that, because you would think with like such a huge space in between these dogs, there's no way that they could essentially even look alike, but they're generally tend to be like these fairly thin, noodly type-esque dogs that have generally pointed ears and they're essentially like the OG scavenger basically. Oh. Um, so that's basically why I think 
my dogs love the foraging enrichment so much that kind of really made sense to me when I read that. Um, but there's still a broad type, right? There can still be little things here and there in the village dog. And I'm still learning a ton about it, right? Because I've been reading a ton about it. I'm still like very new to it all, but it's all very, very interesting, of course, for me anyway. No, that's so cool. Um, speaking of enrichment, <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> um, when you were on last year, we did talk a lot about what canine enrichment is and why it's important. Um, so if you've listened to that episode, or start, rather, if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go listen. It's a fantastic episode. We learned so much. Um, but let's dive into the first question we have. So the first thing we want to chat about is your sensory yard. So we know that you did a sensory yard last year and then you upgraded it, I want to say, this year. So, yes, the original year that we did it was two years ago when we moved into our new home. And I think it was like the perfect storm because we had just moved in the middle of the pandemic and we had a lot of time to create this space. And it was super, super fun. It really took off. People really loved it. And um, a little bit more about it. It's essentially where you make your space into something that is sensory, not only for you, but for your pets. So it can be done in a variety of different ways. Like we've had the sniffy wall. We had like little lounge areas for the dogs, different textures in the yard for them to enjoy, different scents, water features, and nothing that was like overly expensive or overly hard to do. Like we just have a small space. So I wanted to create something fun in a small space. This year, we didn't get to do as much, unfortunately. Um, we did, however, uh, completely change the yard into clover, which that was really cool. We had really wanted to do that because having two young female dogs that squat, urine spots were like a huge thing to upkeep last year. Oh, so interesting. I would not have thought of that. It was really cool. And I wanted to try it out just a little bit in the beginning because People were like, oh, there's going to be a lot of bees or, oh, you know, it's going to take over. And what if you don't like it? But honestly, we had no problem with the bees and we we had no problem with how it spread because we like we ended up liking it and it held up great with the dogs. Um, that's very cool, Taylor. And then this year we didn't do as much essentially because last year we did set up a lot. So we essentially brought a lot of the older things back into the yard. So a lot of the plants we used the year before we brought back in. And then unfortunately, um, I had kind of a setback. So I had wanted to plant the whole back of our yard with a bunch of dog friendly plants. And unfortunately, in a windstorm, our whole fence ended up coming down. Oh, no. And when they came to replace it, the people that came to replace it because it had to be um, like kind of like set up so that it wouldn't fall into our yard, they unfortunately like squashed my whole garden. Oh, oh that's terrible. Oh, it, it really sucked, but it was it is what it is. At least it'll give me like a fresh um, canvas to start for next year, but it did suck at the time, but what can you do? <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So I want to save enough time to like really dig into this one. So you posted some information a few months ago about contra freeloading, which is something I'd never heard of before. So can you tell us more about this concept and 
at what it means and why it plays into canine enrichment. Absolutely. So I love talking about um, contra-freeloading because it's an old concept and it's essentially a concept that runs through the baseline of why so many people with captive animals, like say rescue organizations, zoos, everything like that, have these enrichment programs. So contra-freeloading is essentially the concept that when you give an animal two types of identical food, so that's key here, they have to be identical in value, and you provide one freely, so for example, just a regular bowl, and next, in something that requires effort to obtain. So for example, we could say a Kong or a puzzle feeder. The animal generally will pick the food that requires effort. And this shocks many people, right? Because everyone's like, work smarter, not harder. Like, why would anything, dog, person, any kind of animal choose to work harder? And the science behind it is really, really cool. Because essentially what the science found was that the act of working for food was more enjoyable for these animals than actually obtaining the food itself. So, and it relates to this theme on dopamine and anticipation, which is really cool. So your dog gets so excited at the thought of obtaining the food that it actually outweighs the food excitement itself once they actually get it. Okay. So I last week read about this, read wrote your posts about this, and I was like, I'm going to try this, but I didn't do it right because I didn't have two identical foods. So I took uh, some Marshall's kibble and I put it on a snuffle mat and then I took some Marshall's kibble but I put his normal like fish oil and pumpkin on top Mm -hmm. and I put it down and I put him into a sit and then he went right for the bowl and I was like, you're lazy. Okay, I'm going to have to retry without the pumpkin on top. (laughs) Yeah, so some people, it it totally, right, lots of people have done that where it's like, that's the one of the key factors. It has to be identical. And obviously as well, there's going to be scenarios. It's not going to work 100% of the time, right? So one interesting thing as well is that the study found that one of the animal species that didn't um, correlate with this um, theory was house cats. So if you give cats the contra-freeloading concept where like there's a bowl and there's something to play with, they're usually going to pick the bowl, which is really interesting. Cat energy, love it. (laughs) doesn't mean that they can't benefit from it whatsoever. Like I don't want to say that and people go, oh my gosh, my cat's not going to enjoy enrichment. That's not necessarily true whatsoever. Um, Also, our dogs have to have access to food, right? If you give a starving dog a bowl of food in front of them and... a a toy they're gonna go for that and say if your dog has like a busy day as well say they're kind of having one of those days where it's been really busy you've been going around doing a million things they might opt for the bowl so there's lots of little things that it could be as well so don't worry if it doesn't work every time that's normal as well Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, this this was the first time I'd ever heard of contra freeloading, and I'm one million percent going to try it with both of my dogs because I want to know what kind of lazy scale they lay at. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that info, Taylor. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to talk about enrichment for fearful or anxious dogs and how to spot positive reinforcement rather positive re-engagement during these activities. So we will be right back. <laughs> 